Well, I'm here with Jerry Hill. Uh, Steve Hill led me to the Lord back in 1996. I'm forever indebted to them for their walk with the Lord, their uh, love for Jesus. And so uh, I am come. I am just so honored to to be able to talk with Jerry today. I know she has riches from Christ. She's gonna she's gonna share with you guys today, and it's gonna be uh, tasty. You're gonna taste the presence of the Lord as we as we talk here. And I just pray that Lord, you would open up all of our eyes yes. to see your beauty, the irresistible beauty that you are, in your precious name. Amen. So Amen. You're, you're feeling well? Yes, doing really good. Fantastic. Yeah. So you, how long were you and uh, Steve in ministry, and how long have you been in ministry without Steve? Well, without Steve, totally. Um, I got saved in 75 and immediately started in ministry in 1975. And so until now, in 2021, it, it would be... Um, 45 years last October. Is that about right? Wow. 45 years? That's amazing. <laughs> I, was, I was a young whippersnapper, 18. Yeah. Wow. And so I was in ministry before I met Steve, and four years I'd been saved. And him too, he had been saved four years because we both got saved in the same month, oh, in wow. the same year. <laughs> and but in two different places. I was in Michigan and he was in Huntsville, Alabama. And we met in Texas a couple of years later at David Wilkerson's Bible School. And so that's where our life started together was in Bible School in Lindale, Texas. And then since he's gone home to be with the Lord, I've been in ministry. Um, it'll be seven years in March, since he has, what I like to say, he has entered into the fullness of God's presence. Yes. You know, and so I'm a little jealous uh, <laughs> of Steve that he gets to be in the fullness of God's presence. And I'm a little jealous that God gets to be with, gets to have Steve too. <laughs> <laughs> That's precious. So you've seen so many things. I mean, we could go down the list. I'm sure you've seen many people rise and fall. You've seen mm -hmm. revival in different countries. You've, you've planted churches all over. You guys have traveled itinerant-wise and worked in, I mean, Teen Challenge and things like this. You saw these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe give me a couple of very valuable things that you've learned throughout all of these things that you've seen. I think the first thing is to be faithful in the little things. And when you're faithful in the little things, God will make you faithful in the big things. And so when Steve and I, being in ministry, we you know did a lot of little things in the beginning. And, but everywhere we went, we were evangelizing. The first year that we got that we got married, we would go into our neighborhood and invite the kids in the neighborhood to our backyard on Saturdays. And we had to ask permission from the parents for all these kids to come to our backyard. And we would share Jesus with them. 
and we would do puppets and we'd do stories and we'd have snacks and spend time with the kids. And one day a knock comes at the door and there was a father out there, a big Alabama Bubba type man. (laughs) And knocked on the door. Steve answered the door. I'm sitting at the kitchen table and this big Alabama man, he says, you the one telling my kid about Jesus? And Steve goes, yes. He goes, well, it's working. And he turns and walks away. And so we were faithful in the little things. If you're faithful in the little things, even reaching the small children, it will touch the family, the mom, the dad. That is huge for a dad to come over to the house and say that it's working. And we were fifth and sixth Sunday school uh, teachers just for the fifth and sixth graders. And we evangelized, like I said, our neighborhood, and we invited them to church, and they'd ride the bus to church. And we had about six kids around the table. And they, it, within 10 months, it grew to where they gave us the children's church room just for the fifth and sixth graders. And we had about 60 kids. And Steve would play his guitar, and I would sing with him and, you know, do the motions and, and everything. But it grew. And it, if you're faithful in those little things, Steve never at one point ever told me he was going to be an evangelist. We were Christians that shared Jesus with people. We were Christians that um, everywhere we went, we talked to people about Jesus. And so when we moved from there and we went to become youth pastors in Panama City, we had, once again, about six kids. And within 10 months, it grows to over 100. And one day we'd been out evangelizing. and Every day we we were out evangelizing, touching, um, knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. And one night about midnight, they knew that we lived in a mobile home next to the church. The church owned this mobile home park. And we were living in this mobile home. And about midnight, a knock comes at the door. And it's this young couple, drug addict couple. And they're out there. And they said, we're ready to get saved right now. And as they're saying it, they're falling into our living room, and they fall on their knees and on their faces, and they say, we've got to get saved right now. Right now, we've got to get saved. And we knew that what God had done in our life, we wanted to share with people, and we knew that He was going to do it in their life too, as long as we shared it. As long as we told them about a Savior, about this wonderful man that God sent to the earth to die for us and to forgive us of our sins, that if we told people about this, that they would want it. And that because they're looking for a way out of all of their bondages, they're looking for a way out of all of their the captivity, mm. and they're miserable inside. And so, if you're faithful in those little things, you'll see God move. And we moved from another place. It was just like a chain reaction. And, you know, wouldn't you love to have instructions as soon as you get saved that this is all mapped out and here's what you're going to do? 
(laughs) And it doesn't go that way. And during this time, Steve is studying to get his Christian worker papers. He's getting his license. He's also, then he finally gets his ordination. And it's after we were youth pastors in Tallahassee that we took some young people to Mexico on a missions trip. We never had thought about going to the mission field, ever. And so we take 10 kids to Mexico. We're passing out tracks. And Steve's looking at me. He, people are so hungry, hungry for Jesus. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you think about becoming a missionary? I go, okay, <laughs> let's do it. You know, it was just like, you know, we never thought about it. We, it just kind of popped in our mind. And then we started working towards it. And within a few months, we're going to language school in Costa Rica. But we had to raise our money. We had to get approval. We had, you know, there was things. And we didn't know there were things you had to do to get there. (laughs) And, but if we keep moving forward, if people keep moving forward, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. I think number two is, you know, be faithful first, be faithful in the little things. Number two, that um, even when it gets tough, you still hang in there. You don't give up. Um, When you get saved, you know, Steve and I did anyway, as soon as we got saved, we knew that our life was not our own. Mm -hmm. It was His. It was God's. And He had a purpose. And it was our desire to find what that purpose was and fulfill it, whatever that purpose was. And we put into practice the scripture, um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So it was a selfless Christianity. It was laying our lives on the line, being willing to do whatever. And I was always like, yes, sir, let's do it (laughs) to God. Yeah. You know, Um, I was a little leery marrying Steve because I was a drug addict back in the day. He was a drug addict back in the day. And it'd be very easy for two drug addicts to talk each other into Mm -hmm. going back into drugs. And I told him, I said, I need to know that like three weeks before we got married, I need to know that you're not going to fall back into drugs because mm-hmm. I can't handle that. And he goes, I'm going to live for God all the days of my life. <laughs> and, I, and I go like this with my fist. I go, okay, let's do this. <laughs> we were going to fulfill the plan of God. Yeah. Our plan, our part of God's plan. Yeah. Everybody has a plan. And if we all did his plan mm-hmm. instead of our own plan, oh, a lot would get done. Instead of being selfish. And um, we didn't own our first home for f- the first 14 years of our marriage. Oh, wow. So um, being faithful, knowing what God's plan is and fulfilling it and move forward even when it gets tough. Mm. That's tremendous. You know, uh, I've learned about most of the people that I read today because of Steve uh, mentioning a book here or mm-hmm. there. And I really appreciated your story the other day 
about you and Steve in the antique bookshops and, and it really <laughs> touched my heart, you know. Uh, my love for the old writings came from hearing him mention things. I wanted to be just like him, at, uh, watching him up there. And and I I grabbed everything he said and put it into practice, you know, as a, as a young man. But That's good. Um, what's something that you learned from Steve? Well, probably quite a few things. Um, he was never a procrastinator. <laughs> um, at home, there was never a honey to-do list. If he saw that something had to be done, you know, a knob came, un, you know, came unloosed, um, he was immediately fixing it. Um, if I mentioned something to him, it, it was done. <laughs> it was just done. He was not a procrastinator. He went in and got it done, and he um, followed through on things. Um, he loved to work with his hands, not just preach, um, and, you know, working with his mind, but his favorite thing was to read. And, but he loved to work on things, put things together. Um, you know, he loved to build, he loved to have his tools all set up and they were all in order and they were perfect. And he'd go out there and work on it. And when he was done, he never left a mess. He always cleaned up his mess. And um, if there was a mess on the counter, he would just shove it all into the drawer, you know? And I knew that if, it, if, it, if I left something right there on the counter, it would be in the drawer right below it. <laughs> and he was just that way. He had to have everything cleaned up. Everything had, and um, he didn't um, wait for me to do everything for him. I had to on purpose try to do something ahead of him or do something for him because he was self-sufficient. Um, he told me one time, um, I said, well, I'll sew that button on. He goes, my dad told me I'll not, I won't always have a woman around. I need to learn how to sew a button on. And I said, but I'm more than happy to do that. He goes, no, no, I got it. I got it. He ironed his own clothes. He, you know, which I like to buy things that, are, that don't have to be ironed. <laughs> You know, let's lighten the load here. <laughs> and um, but when he'd go on trips and things like that, um, I didn't save the lawn for him. I mm. would do the lawn so that we got to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to come home and have to work on something. Mm -hmm. But he thrived on things to do. He loved in the very beginning, you know, you can send things off to the printer, you know, through a computer now. But at the time, years ago, he had to do all the the press um, the press letters and do this line that didn't show up and put the letters all on there and you know pay, cut and paste and you'd type this out and paste this in and um, you know there was a lot more involved when you didn't have a computer and so he learned how to do those things, but he. Um, was always um, working on things, you know, it was an idol. Mm, follow through as well, huh? Mm -hmm. So let me throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you. Okay. Um, about him. And then we'll move into 
really want to hear what's on your heart for this. I hate saying the word season, but where we are right now. Right. So if you were to say one of Steve's favorite authors, who would it be? He loved um, Robert Murray McShane. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he did his very first devotional book on his um, Bible reading guide. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, he was 27 years old. And a lot of these, the circuit riders before, when they didn't have cars and they were doing the horseback and everything, their tenacity mm. and willing to ride a horse from place to place to place to place to, place to tell people about Jesus. He loved uh, George Whitfield, um, Finney, um, all of them, but he loved the intensity of their message. Mm -hmm. And he would read it and he'd say, I want what they had, mm -hmm. their desire to go after it. But it this grew over time and intensified over time. The Brownsville revival didn't take place until we'd been married 16 years. And we had planted eight churches and helped out a children's home. But that was all involved with evangelism, a lot of one-on-one -on -one praying with people. And, you know, he went to, we went to these different crusades and saw what God was doing in Carlos Anacondia mm -hmm. and things like that and wanted it and went after God for it. And yeah. he said, God, I don't want to do it in my own strength. I want you to do it through me. Yeah. That's beautiful. So you'd say Robert Murray McShane was one of his favorites? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So who, who would you say was one of the most influential figures in Steve's life spiritually? I can't pick one person. The first one, um, Jim Summers, who went to, he had witnessed to him, but then he went up to the jail and talked to the judge and the lawyer about him being probated into Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. So he honored Jim, Jim Summers, in an incredible way. <laughs> um, David Wilkerson. Um, we went to Brother Dave's school, but if it had not been for Teen Challenge and him starting Teen Challenge, we would never have gotten the help that we needed. Mm -hmm. And so when we went to David Wilkerson's school, um, I used to clean his house and Gwen spoke into my life, Brother Dave spoke into my life and into Steve's life. And it was um, Brother Dave actually told Steve, told the staff, he said, be on the lookout because God's going to put Steve and Jerry together <laughs> before we even knew. And so he had already spoken to the staff that this was going to happen. And then Leonard Ravenhill, who was one of our teachers at Bible school. And so when we came back from the uh, mission field, we moved to Van, Texas, just down the road from Leonard. And so he went, we both did, went down and spent time with Martha and Leonard. We would take them out. We'd take them into town. We'd do things with them. Um, when Steve was traveling, Leonard and Martha would call me and had some pretty spiritual experiences with them. And, and um, so those would probably be the main three. And it was Leonard who gave him a list of people, the books to buy. Mm -hmm. He said, all of the ones I'm giving you, they never fell away from God. He goes, I'm not going to give you a list of a name of a book of somebody who fell away from God. Mm 
but these are just the ones that are, you know, living for the, or had lived for the Lord all the way to the end. So that's where he got his list of books from. Yeah. So who did Steve like to listen to uh, music-wise? Um, it was rare that he listened to music. Um, but Keith Green. <laughs> um, and it was because when we were in Brother Dave's school, Last Days Ministries was just down the road. And we would all get into vans and go down to Last Days Ministries and gather around uh, Keith Green's piano. And we'd all, he'd sing and we'd all sing with him. And when Keith died and the plane went down with him and his two children, and there were other people in the plane too, um, he wept. He wept that that voice, the the no compromise Mm -hmm. um, message was that that man had gone to be with the Lord. And he just, he felt like the world was going to miss out on such an intense message coming out of Egypt, no compromises, one of his messages. And, um, but at the time, even in Bible school, it, um, second chapter of Acts was down there, Morning Star. These are all old, you know, they were up and coming at the time, but he just didn't listen to music. He loved the hymns. He loved to sing the hymns <laughs> because they, you know, speaking about the blood and the cross and that old rugged cross. He liked yeah. the old hymns. Who were some of Steve's best friends throughout his life? Me. <laughs> <laughs> we were best friends. Yeah. And he would hang out with other people, but it was um, only because they went on ministry trips, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. But there wasn't, there might be a lot of people who felt like they were. Um, really close friends or, you know, yeah. um, he did things with people and they had great trips together. And um, I know of a lot of stories. There's a, he was pastoring or youth pastoring district pastor, something in their missionaries now in Italy. Um, there's a pastor who went on to that these people came down to Argentina and also brought teams to Spain. Can you hear that ding? No. No. Okay, good. And um, in Russia, we had teams that came, district um, leaders would bring teams of young people and they would do preliminary trips and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was his best friend. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, one more question about Steve, and then I'd love for you just to unload your heart on what you've been spiritually perceiving and feeling, you know, and seeing in the Word or whatever. Was there a time when something really shifted Steve in the Spirit? Like, was there a moment where he, I don't know, maybe an encounter with God or something that really changed him in a drastic way? If there was, what was it? Yes. Um, We were missionaries in Argentina. And one day I walked in on Steve. We had always been evangelizing. That was our heartbeat was evangelism. And one day I walked into the office, which was very 
very normal to walk into the office and him be laying on the floor, either praying or reading an old book. Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't a golfer. He didn't play basketball. He didn't lift weights. Um, he read every chance he got. And he didn't necessarily pull out a book and read it from beginning to end. He would pull it out and just read a few pages and God speak to me, you know, because he read the word more than he read the old books. And he was in there and he was weeping on the floor. And I walked in and, but it was different this time. <laughs> and a lot of times we got up at three in the morning and we were um, seeking God for two hours before starting the day. But I walked in and I hear him say, and it's coming from his gut. And he says, God, I know how to evangelize. I know how to preach. I know how to share you with others. I know how to, and he started, he's just naming things that he knows how to do. And then all of a sudden, weeping from the depths of his being, he cried out and he said, my God, I don't want to do it in my own strength. I want you to do it through me. And I, he's just wailing. Well, when I walked in and I hear this, it hits me in the gut. And I walked out. I didn't want to go over and lean down next to him and pray with him. I walked out and I sat down at the top of the stairs. I lost all strength in my legs. And I went, yes, God, I'm just weeping. And I went, yes, God, do it through him, Jesus. Do it through him, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. And something shifted. We had been married 12 years. This was in 1991 when my second child was born. And I felt like we had been doing ministry side by side for 12 years. But at that moment, I felt like we were twisted together, mm. entwined. And I would pray for Steve, but I felt like it was more his responsibility to pray for himself. And so I prayed for my influence in ministry. But now I had two children, and that changes things. Hmm. I had all I wanted was to see God's kingdom advanced. Mm -hmm. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And I started interceding for Steve on every trip. I stopped praying, God, what do you want me to do? What he wanted me to do at that moment, I knew it was dropped into my spirit mm -hmm. that I was to intercede for him like I had never interceded before. Wow. And it shifted every trip from that on, that time on was all about God showing me what I was supposed to do to intercede for him wow. and to be standing with him. And he, we had numerous conversations, um, some before, but mostly after he told me he had been waiting for me to get on his page and to be one like that with him, not yeah. just doing it for God, but to be one with him. Wow. And I had had many people speak into my life about doing that, and I didn't get it until God wow. showed it to me. People can tell you what to do, because when we got married, they told me they wanted me to step out of ministry for the first year. And I said, what? You have got to be kidding me. We're supposed to be a team. Two are better than one. 
And now you're telling me to step out. We want you to become one with Steve. Hmm. And then I got involved in the next church, and they told me that um, being a woman, this is years ago, um, I didn't know my place oh. because I wanted to evangelize. I didn't, but this it was an older pastor, and he felt like women were to be silent and couldn't even share Jesus with anybody, you know? And the next pastor, also, he relieved me of duties because I was so enthralled in doing. Hmm. And each place, they were telling me to rein it in. And then when my firstborn came, um, God said, I want you to rein it in. Hmm. And I was like, I don't, I don't. I don't know what I'm supposed to do if I rein it in, you know? And then it was when Shelby was born that I got it. That intercession, that backing, that 100% on his page. And my intercession, God was showing me, was just as effective as what Steve was doing. Because I wasn't um, distracted and going another direction, even though I felt like it was a, a kingdom direction. Does that all make sense? Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> I got on his page. Every message I heard, I was on the edge of my seat. I was, yes, come on, baby. Yeah. Come on, baby. And then I was praying for the people that were listening to the message, yeah. that it would penetrate, that it would resonate, that they, they would, it would come alive in them. And that's what I prayed. Yes, yes, yes. And so when we'd get in the car and he goes, was it any good? Did I do any good? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. Yes. And your fruit is going to remain. Yes. They are going to remain and they're going to produce fruit. That it's going to continue on. Yeah. And what you are doing, the, the 16 years leading up to this was just as important as this part and the next part. Each part is very important, even going through a cancer battle. Wow. That Steve told me when it was nearing his end, um, he said, honey, when you talk about me going home to be with the Lord, one thing I want you to remember is that there's no regrets. Wow. No regrets. Because we're never guaranteed that we're just going to fall asleep. Mm. And whatever we we live for him in the good times, the bad times, when <laughs> things are going smooth, when it's not. He's worth it. He's worthy. And it's all part of his kingdom advancement, everything that he wants to do. It's all about him. Wow. And with everybody praying, everybody knew and God knew that Steve was going through a, a battle in his body. Mm -hmm. And did he have the power to change it? Absolutely. Did he choose to not to? Yes. Do I love him regardless? Absolutely. So we don't pull back from God just because he doesn't answer the prayer the way that we want him to answer it. We let him be God. And the amazing thing is after Steve passed away, I, I was going through the antique books, and I carry one around with me, and one that was in there was called Widow Directed. Wow. 
And in there was the story about Ruth and Naomi. And it said that they went back to the homeland. And then the one widow directed the other widow, Naomi directed Ruth, to go into a field, lay at the feet of Boaz. They get married. They have a child. And they're, they're, you see the picture of what God had planned. But then we look back on the big picture and we see the lineage of David and then Jesus. That's the real big picture. And that was in that, in that book. And, um, and then after my son passed away, the same thing. A couple months later, I'm sitting in the living room, no music on, no TV on. And there were some books laying down. And I go, I just, the thought comes to my mind, I wonder what that second book is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't care what the second book is. And then again, I wonder what the second book, okay, I'll go look at the second book. It's like God was speaking to me. I go pull it out and it says, when you've lost a child. Oh, wow. And so God knew that this was going to be my lot. This is what I was going to face without Steve. (laughs) And so who was my first love? Do I continue on or was I 100% um, leaning on Steve for all my happiness? Hmm. No, I was leaning on God for all my happiness. So when Steve came home, I was already happy (laughs) because I was happy in the presence of God. It was not his responsibility to make me happy. I chose to be happy because of my relationship with God. And that's what a lot of people in this day and age, they need to know that he is everything. This world is lost. And we were all lost in it at one point. And if we can let them know that man does not make us happy, our situation does not make us happy, Mm. God makes us happy. Jesus makes us happy. Holy Spirit has sent to make us happy, to be at peace with what all is going on. And do we have to tell God about everything that's going on in the world? He knows it all already. And nobody gets away with anything. I will never get away with anything. If I try to hide something, it's going to be exposed, especially when I stand before God everything. And, but there's so many people that they think that this is all that it is, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things going on in this world, and the people are lost. The Bible even speaks of the elect being deceived. Wow. So, if the elect are deceived, can be deceived, What about somebody who is lost, who was never raised in a church, who never experienced the presence of God? Mm -hmm. How can we expect them to behave the way that God wants them to behave Mm -hmm. when they are trained and indoctrinated by the world standard and the world is run by Satan, by the enemy? He's the God, small G-O-D of this world the Bible says. And if it's run by him, he's going to deceive everybody he can think of, everybody he 
hand, he will deceive and pull them away from God. And it's our responsibility to bring them from that darkness into light.